0: In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we're lucky to be joined by Clark Mayer. Clark is a writer, filmmaker, photographer, and author of the new book, Incendiary. While the only mention of D.B. Cooper is in the foreword of the book, the fictional tale that follows is very good. If you know as much about the case as Clark and I, you'll find some D.B. Cooper Easter eggs hidden in there too. His book doesn't come out until November 24th, but until then, you can enjoy this interview with my good friend, Clark Mayer. Clark, what got you into D.B. Cooper?
1: Oh, man. So, uh, you read the book. But I hate to like start with my book, right? I-, I know a lot of people are pitching books on here and stuff like that, but I hate to start with my book, but um the first thing that got me in was my uncle. and, uh, you know, we were sitting outside. It was like a hot summer night, and my uncle, there was this guy walking by and he was, you know, walking through the shadows and he still walks by in the neighborhood often. And um he was walking by and he had this fedora on and he had this suit and he had a briefcase, he was walking by and I was sitting on the porch with my uncle. My uncle said, it's Cooper. I was like, who? And he was like, D.B. Cooper. And I was like, who is D.B. Cooper? He was like, oh, he was the guy that, you know, skyjacked the airplane, he got away with it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, he got the money and he jumped and you know, they never caught him. And I was like, that's impossible. Like someone can't jump out of a plane with you know that much money and never be caught. He was like, well, he did it. And I said, okay. I remember going back downstairs that night to my office and looking this up, D.B. Cooper, you know? And I mean, I, I feel like at that point, you just become, it's like at that point, you're sort of intrigued or maybe you remember a little bit about the story if someone says D.B. Cooper or you fall into the vortex, right? Like that's, these are well two said. options. You, you, you're aware. And if someone says the name, it rings a bell or you fall into the vortex. And I did. What year was this? I'm going to, so it's hard for me to say definitively what year it was, but I'm going to say probably 2012, 2013. That feels about right. Eight or nine years ago.
0: Where were you living at the time?
1: Jersey. Jersey. Okay.
0: So not a lot of people walking around talking about it.
1: No. And I don't live in like a neighborhood where people walk by much but this gentleman walks by many nights. There's a train nearby that goes directly to Penn station. So we used to assume that he would leave in the late afternoon, go to work, and then he'd always walk by at night, like 10 o'clock at night.
0: And once you started researching the case, you were just enthralled by
1: it? Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's something very, um, I don't know. There's something that is very, uh, just intriguing about the case. And I think part of that is because he's never been caught. And part of that is that sort of, I don't know, that anti-hero aesthetic, right? Like a lot of people are intrigued because he's the guy that got away. And also he's like the one who, I don't know, a lot of people say stuck it to the man, right? Um, You know, I'm not so into that part of the story of like the grudge or he had a vendetta or anything like that. But um yeah, I, I think there's just something that people really gravitate towards. And for me, it was like the why I was so interested in the why, which is one of the only answers we don't have. Right.
0: Yeah. The why or the who? <laughs>
1: yeah. The big answer. The, well, the big question is like the who and the other one is the why. Why? And so that was what really got me like pumped. I'm like a so into storytelling. So like, why, why do this? Why would someone do it? Because the one thing I kept coming back to was the money. He didn't spend the money. And that to me was so interesting. Like if you're going to take $200,000 and you're never going to do anything with it, why, right? There's got to be something there that is far greater than money. And that's really what made me so interested in it. And I mean, I know we could get to like Tina Bar and we can get to the whole discovering the bills later. There's a whole nother can of worms to open with that. But for, for, all, for all intents and purposes, no money was spent. Agreed? Oh, I agree. Yeah.
0: That, that's interesting. I talked with Dan Greider on the last episode about that. He asked me what I thought Cooper's motivation was. Why'd he do it? And I told him, I don't know, because I don't know who did it. It's like you can't answer one without the other, and we don't have either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) he, You know, I was listening to his episode this morning, and it was really interesting because he had a lot of big um, statements about November 24th, huh?
0: A lot of very bold statements. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Listen, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm ready. I was like, wow, he's got a lot of information about November 24th, but, you know.
0: Yeah, stirring it up in the vortex a little bit. I've had a couple people reach out to me like, Dude, do you really think he's going to solve it? Are you going to be satisfied with his solve? Did he tell you who it was? Which he did not.
1: No, no. Well, listen, he's got to like, you know, he's got to keep some tricks up his sleeve, right? We'll see what he says November 24th.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But you've got a project that's actually out now. So you took your DB Cooper knowledge and uh, interest and wrote a fictional book.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it's actually it's actually out on the 50th anniversary. So November 24th is the release date.
0: Oh, so I have an advanced copy.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I knew Ooh. years ago, um, you know, I had, so I'll get into the manuscript later if you want. But um, years ago, I finished it. This book's been done for a really long time. Um, but I've sort of been writing a ton of books and just sort of like shelving them so that I could do some, some release and buy myself some time because it's not the only thing that I do. I started writing this and, and really, I just, I really kind of was so intrigued in the fictional elements. Like you brought up fiction and I've listened to, as I said, every episode of the Cooper vortex. And I find that like so few people have gone into the fictional realm. A lot of people write nonfiction about this case. A lot of people claim to have the answers claim to have the suspect. And that's cool. Like, that's what keeps the case so fun. I think everybody's firm belief that they know who DB Cooper is is part of the fun. I have no idea who DB Cooper is. (laughs) So I was really interested in the fictional element because I write a lot of fiction. And I sort of took these ideas, the facts, right? The things that people can agree on and inserted them into my own fictional story.
0: You definitely did that.
1: Yeah. Part of the fun for me was I want to tell that story, but I don't want to get caught up in the facts because as you know, probably better than anybody else, no one can agree on some of the things that are still questionable. And, you know, a lot of people in the vortex discuss ad nauseum, all of the finer points and the details some of which we're not even sure about. The flight path, we're not sure about, right? When the money I ended up on Tina Barr, we're not sure about. Um, you know, I don't know, ethnicity, right? A height, all of these things that we're so unsure about. And so my idea was I'm going to insert some of the facts into this fictional story that sometimes feels to me like a love letter to the case. Um, I'm not saying that like I'm writing a love letter to a criminal case, but a love letter to like everything that surrounds Cooper and the vortex. And for me, I only cherry picked some of the things that I knew people could agree on and certainly fictionalized some of the things that we could also agree on, but really tried to make it my own, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, definitely. I, I got that point real quick. I mean, like halfway through the book, I'm reading about the plane refueling and it's getting vapor lock. Like, Oh, that's pretty specific to DB Cooper's. I mean, the, the flight instructions in your book are the same, right? If you replaced the name of the airline and the characters in your book with Northwest Orient and Dan Cooper, it would be very close. But of course your book has all these details that we'll never know. And what he was thinking at the time, which I, I really enjoy. I've read. I'm going to say two and a half fictional books on the case, and I I really enjoyed yours because it was related to the case. The other ones they took the name, and then it's it's wacky. It uh, it yeah. starts with the hijacking, and then it's his adventures
1: afterward. If you if you don't mind me asking, who whose books would you recommend that sort of lean in the fiction?
0: Well, there's only two fictional books I'll recommend. And that okay. will be yours, Incendiary. Oh, thank you. Um, and then it, The Man in 18D or E. I'm so sorry, yeah. Lynn. I, I
1: I've heard the title. title. Yeah, I've not read it, but I've heard the title.
0: And that one's really good. That one isn't as uh, accurate to the Cooper story as your book is. It uh, has a time travel angle to it. Yeah. And then there's a, there's another one. I can't even remember the name of it. But it's, it's more of a romantic book about them hiding out after oh, uh, after the hijacking. And that one, it, the genre was too far from what I enjoy reading that I just couldn't, couldn't do it.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, understood.
0: But yeah, you did a, a really good job, and I enjoyed being able to sort of get into your mind as, as he's the main character in your book. Like, this is what he was thinking, this is why he did it. Right. And I don't want to give too many spoilers, but in your book, it wasn't about the money.
1: Yeah, you don't, I don't really mind, like, maybe we'll stay away from, like, super far into the end spoilers, but, like, I don't mind some spoilers. If someone wants to pick up the book because they want a good read, that's cool by me. I'd rather be able to talk about it. I know some people are like, don't spoil it. But for me, it's like, if you really want to read the book, you'll pick it up. Maybe you'll enjoy it. Again, you know, for Cooper fans, there's a lot of Easter eggs for people who maybe just like a a crime read, you know, they maybe are unfamiliar with the Cooper case. They'll enjoy it too, but I'm not, I'm not so worried about spoilers. I I like to talk about the book. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You said get into um, Al's head, right? So just for the audience, Al is my stand-in for Cooper. Okay. Uh, Al Ader. But I really liked Robin, JG and uh, Rex. Those J.G. Were like,
0: was, the name alone was a very good choice. It reminded me of those, need cash now? Call J.G. Wentworth, <laughs> <laughs> 77 cash now
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's good. Uh, yeah, I that was really fun for me. So to give you like a quick idea, so the script, I should say, the novel started as a screenplay. Um, I am screenwriter too. Never had anything really produced other than things I've produced myself. Um, but I wrote the screenplay. I really liked it. Uh, I wrote the novel first person. So, the novel originally was like a novella and it was all told from Al's point of view first person. So, it was like I boarded the plane, right? I grabbed the cash and I liked it. Um, I had it edited and I shelved it for a little bit. I went back and worked on the screenplay again. And when I went back to the book, I realized. Because the screenplay you know, got me some reads, got me some cold calls from LA, which was really cool. Um, of course, most people were like, this is too expensive. It's great. It's too expensive. We're never going to make it, which is just sort of the nature of the business. But um, a lot of people were intrigued by it and asked me for a lot of other scripts. But the thing that kept sticking out to me when I went to go look at the book again was the screenplay has the perspectives of several other characters and the book didn't have that. So I scrapped that novella, went back to it, wrote everything in third person and included Rex, JG and Robin as major characters. And to me, that was the thing that really finished the book. Like that was the thing for me that I was like, this is great. I could pivot between characters from chapter to chapter. At first, I really enjoyed writing Robin as a character. Then I really enjoyed writing JG and Rex and That's what really sort of made me kind of gravitate towards finishing the book was being able to do it sort of like a movie, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And and
0: Robin's character, you know, the the Tina Mucklow stand in, that was a really well-developed character and you felt for her in the book and were on her side many times.
1: Yeah. Well, that's part of like part of the fun. You know, I wrote that book and I was like, who is the hero of this story? Um, Who is the villain of this story? And then, you know, I don't know that Robin ever feels like a villain, but there's times in the story when Al, JG, and Rex all feel like heroes. There's times when they all feel like villains too. Right. So to me, there was something really interesting in exploring all these characters and some of their faults and some of their strengths and the fact that everybody in this story contributes to the problem to a degree, you know,
0: I would say so. Yeah. 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 And I enjoyed that because there's not a lot of documentation for it in this case, but the banter back and forth between the FBI and the airline.
1: So yeah. And that was something interesting to me was like, I was like all of these characters have to meet, right? Like Robin and Al, All right. They are going to constantly be, you know, in sort of in discussion because they're on the plane. Right. Um, But I needed to have Rex speak with Al and I needed to have JG speak with Al. And I needed to have, you know, Rex speak uh, with JG and I needed to like all of them to pivot around each other. So one of the things I tried to do was make sure that all of these characters had one scene with each other. They all meet each other at some point, or at least speak with each other without ever being in the same place or the same room at one point, you know? So I knew, okay, they all need to speak with each other, or at least they all need to speak with Al at some point. So that was fun too. Like, how do I get all these characters to talk? And obviously that was doable through walkie talkies, the phone inside of the plane, things like that, that I could sort of skirt around, you know, getting them to all discuss things. So
0: It is interesting reading something that takes period before cell phones because it's like, how are we going to get a hold of this person? I mean, like that sort of aspect of the time period.
1: Yeah. And that's where I sort of get a little like I, 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 you know, sort of give myself a little leeway with the story. I think, you know, you said it well. It's like I drop a lot of the Cooper facts in there, but I think somewhere around the two thirds mark maybe even the halfway point really becomes sort of my own thing. You're still very much getting the Cooper case and there's a lot in there that you're still going to get from it. But I knew at some point, and this is probably because of the fact that I had written a screenplay. And so I was trying to develop something that was a little more movie friendly, but yeah, I'd say about halfway through, that's when I start to really add some of my own fiction in, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it totally makes sense. Cause when I first started reading the book, I thought, why did he change the names of everything in the characters? I I don't understand that. He should have just kept it as Dan Cooper and Northwest Orient Airlines. But then I totally agree. Maybe halfway through the book or a little bit less, the story developed so much. I thought if I was reading this and it was Dan Cooper and Northwest Orient, I think I would be out of it because I was like, these details are are crazy none of this is true doesn't make sense yeah so by creating a fictional airline and character it was it was like a different story
1: yeah and that was like again you know i'm just so enthralled by the case and i really like listening to all of the theories surrounding the case especially even from like a lot of your guests on the show you know before your show it was like we were combing the internet Right and going through the blogs, and going through some of these chats and things like that. We were getting a lot of different opinions. And that's the way I sort of researched the book. But I think interestingly enough, you've collected a lot of these ideas in one place, and you've given people voices for those ideas too. It's a lot easier to listen to a guest on your show than it is to just read text on a page. And maybe go through these forums and see like the dates and the timestamps of people having discussions and conversations or go to each individual website, you know, and staying away from some of that sort of argument or discussion was important to me. Because again, I was like, I can't commit to anything that people are going to debate. And so I have to do my own thing. It needs to still be very much... um, I don't know, like, just rooted in the Cooper story, but I have to do my own thing. That's just my personal sort of taste. I was like, I don't want to write just the Cooper story because if I put that book out there, people are going to read it and they're going to go, "No, that's not what happened. <laughs> or your details are all messed up. That's not that's not at all what happened." You know, uh, your flight path is off, and I'm like, well, no one can agree on the flight path anyway. So I was like, I have to just pick my own. You know, I have to pick my own details in that department. Well, what's your take on D.B. Cooper's flight path? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's so strange. I'd love to believe that he I'd love to believe that the most traditional version, which is really just like kind of over the woods, makes sense. You know, you live out there, right?
0: I, I used to. I'm in Colorado now.
1: Okay. You're in Colorado. So I, you know, the furthest I've been out there is Portland. I've been to Denver and Boulder many times, but the furthest I've been out there, um, let's say the Northwest is is Portland. So I don't know the area so well, but again, it's like so many different theories about the flight path makes me wonder if anybody really even knows what the flight path is. It's It's so frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. I tend to, I tend to believe the official flight path, just cuz like yeah. how many dudes were involved in creating that i mean the air traffic controller you had the sage radar system you had the the crew in the plane and so they agreed on this path i wasn't there i wasn't yeah. monitoring any of the radars at the time so i'll i'll go with the expert consensus at the time
1: yeah i think that the pilot and air traffic control that's probably your best bet just because why would their information be inaccurate, right? It's like Oakham's razor, right? Like the, the, the easiest answer is probably the answer. Um, maybe that's not true for every detail in the case, but as far as the flight path goes, I'm gonna have to lean towards probably what they suspected originally.
0: Do you think the FBI's drop zone is accurate?
1: Probably that too. Um, I, I think when it comes to the drop zone, again, it's dependent upon the flight path, right? It's like the drop zone and the flight path are kind of connected. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. How specific is the drop zone? I don't know. You're jumping out of a plane at 10,000 feet. So, I, you know, I'm not a master parachuter. As a matter of fact, I'm not a parachuter at all. <laughs> Never jumped out of a plane in my life. Um, but I'd have to imagine that's probably pretty accurate too. Um, But then again, you know, you find no evidence. So who's to say, right? There's no evidence that proves any of these things anyway. I mean, we don't even have... Uh, uh, nothing, not a shred of parachute, not an article of clothing, not a bit of DNA, even if who would we even know whose DNA it is, right? Like there's just nothing. That was always something too that really sort of got me all crazy was like, why is there not a shred of evidence? Not anything. I mean, I think a lot of people were like, a lot of people sort of lean towards like, we'll just go start digging out there. You'll find bones, right? I don't know, though. uh, Will you? I don't think so.
0: No, at at this point in time, definitely. If he just face plants into the ground or augers into the ground, as Himmelsbach would say. Yeah. I I think he would have found something by now. I mean, he wasn't jumping with nothing. And I don't know. I've never seen um, a body impact the ground from 10,000 feet. Um, I don't know if I want to Google that. But I doubt that the person goes five feet into the ground and it self-seals itself.
1: Yeah. I always, listen, I didn't go this route in the story, but in theory, I I always imagine that if somebody was going to do it, they probably would have just left the parachute, right? Like why? That's cumbersome. Why bring it? I had my own reasons for doing it in my story, but in real life, I I, would have imagined that someone would have just left that parachute, especially if they hadn't touched it. Like why even take it? what does it matter? They know you jumped out of the plane. It's not like it's going to be evidence in any way. They know you took the parachute, right? So if he did survive the jump, why even take the parachute?
0: Right. And getting the parachute out of the pack is easy, but getting it back in is difficult.
1: Yeah, for sure. I listen, I've never packed a parachute. I could, it sounds hard. (laughs) So
0: yeah, I mean, he could have just lightly buried it through some leaves over it or something, but I mean, people march through those woods all the time. It, people walk through every area. It, it would have been seen by now.
1: Yeah, even just a piece of the fabric, right? Just something, a, a string, a, a something. I don't know. The fact that there's no evidence whatsoever is always something that's baffled me, right? I mean, the money is the only thing. The money at Tina Bar and the lost cigarette butts,
0: right? Yeah, the money at Tina Bar. And that that's really the only piece of evidence after the hijacking. and. All it does is add more questions. It's the money's in the wrong spot. How did it get there?
1: Yeah, I was, I was, so I've listened to all the stuff with regarding, uh you know, the Weber family, let's say Dwayne Weber, but in the HBO doc, they do that really good section where what's the mystery of DB Cooper, right. Mm-hmm. Uh In the HBO doc, they do that really good section where, they go to the lake. Uh, I'm sorry, the lake. They, they go to the river and they tell the story of when Dwayne went to the river and threw the garbage and the money floated down. And that was the only logical pitch I've heard for why the money wound up at Tina Bar. I, I Because a, a lot of people talk about how the money would have um, you know sort of disintegrated or it would have shown the wear and tear of time or it would have had mold maybe or bacteria or something like that, something that would have evidenced how long it's been there. And that was like the best pitch I've heard for why, I think I heard it first on your show. Um, what's the gentleman who came and has spoke with Joe quite a bit? Uh,
0: Tim Collins.
1: Tim Collins, right? Tim Collins tells that great story when they went up there and and uh, Dwayne threw the, the, uh, the garbage in the river and that was like, so interesting to me because I had heard that before the HBO documentary. That was so interesting because I thought, wow, that's a really good reason why the money would pop up at Tina Bar, And especially like even thinking of my own story, I never obviously would include that because my story doesn't go on after the sort of events of the night, right? It doesn't go on after the events of Thanksgiving Eve. But I always thought, wow, Had I decided to like continue my story, that's a really interesting way for the money to pop up, especially if somebody who really was intrigued by like putting this myth out there or knew what they were doing, that's a really cool way to reignite interest in the case or tease people. I don't know if that's necessarily what the theory is regarding that story that she tells, that's a really cool theory. Like somebody goes back there and they're like, eh, it's been quiet for a while. Let's stir things up. Right.
0: Robert Blevins, his theory, his suspect, Kenny Christensen, when he found out the statute of limitations wasn't going to apply to this case, that he then threw the money off a bridge in in Portland or the I-5 oh. bridge. Something. I, I don't remember where. The bridge throws, it but off. don't
1: this. So they say the statute. They say the statute of limitations don't apply. I guess at forty-five years on a federal case. But you talk about the indictment against the John Doe and the fact that it does still apply. Am I saying that correctly?
0: Yes. So okay. there was a John Doe indictment for air piracy, which I believe had a statute of limitations of forty-five or of seven years. In so they charged John Doe. With air piracy in this case, right? We just have to figure out who John Doe is. Is in that, that inde- Is
1: that indefinite?
0: I believe so. Yeah. I mean, as far as like convicting Cooper now, I think it's such a mess that,
1: yeah. I mean,
0: they'd have to catch the guy still holding the parachute and the twenty dollars bills for there to be any any way to convict someone of this. Now, you have the exculpatory evidence of the cigarette butts. So much time has gone by. Can you even prove that this person was
1: Cooper? Yeah. Well, you bring up that good point because I know you always ask people, I don't want to like jump ahead because I know sort of the format of your show as a listener, but you know, you always talk about what does it take to catch Cooper? What is the thing that catches Cooper? And I'm always like an eyewitness willing to testify, you know, the DNA has always been flimsy, a confession with evidence. And I always wonder if like, perhaps that's the two things that matter. Like eyewitness with testimony and confession with good, and I mean, good evidence. But for that, I think you'd know, need someone to turn themselves over, right? Cause I don't know what else, I don't know how else you bring closure to this case in this day and age.
0: I don't know either. I mean, I've said it a billion times, but I don't want it to be solved and we don't get to know the details.
1: You don't want it or do want it?
0: I don't want it to be solved. If, if we find yeah. out tomorrow that it was you, Tyler Durden committed this crime, uh, but he passed away um, in the early 90s. Yeah. And, and I don't get to know like what happened when his boots hit the ground, where he landed, what he did, where he went, uh, the details of the planning.
1: It almost feels like it would be disappointing if the case was solved.
0: Yeah, if it's solved that way, because then- People have to start digging into this dude's life to try and come up with some of these details.
1: Yeah. I almost wonder if perhaps someday the FBI may release some type of information that's like, listen, this is our best guess, but we'll never say it officially. Uh, This is what we think, or this is what we believe. This is a really good suspect, but there's no official way to say it. I I don't think the FBI would do that, but.
0: I don't think they have enough to even do that.
1: Because I mean, I've
0: been looking at some of these FBI files as well as many other people in the vortex. And I've seen files from 76, 78, where they're like, we have no idea what to do now. We've chased every lead. We have no legitimate suspects in this. What should we do next?
1: Yeah. And, you know, early on, that was another thing that influenced me was you have all these suspects and it's like pretty clear that none of them are D.B. Cooper, right? Like- Interestingly enough, with all the suspects we have, everybody thinks they have, the right. like everybody thinks they know who Cooper is and one or few of them will be right. Most will be wrong. Unless everybody sort of rallies behind the same suspect, you know, most people will be wrong and very few will be right.
0: If it's solved on November 24th <laughs> and let's say... it's one of the major suspects that's been floated around for a while. What is the reaction in the Cooper world? We all agree this information is correct, but now I have to throw away all the work I've done the last 10 years on my suspect.
1: Yeah. So I guess maybe people who had the right suspect or maybe had that suspect as a secondary suspect, or maybe were like, I always thought it might've been him or, you know, or her for that matter. And, uh, you know, maybe those people will feel some sense of victory of like, I, I I was on that trail and it's evidenced in the drop zone or it's evidenced in any of these websites that people use to frequent. frequency. Like you can see my posts years ago that I said it was that person, even if they weren't my prime suspect, maybe some satisfaction for them, for the rest of people. I almost wonder if they'd be like, oh, you know, cause then you get into like the conspiracy section of the Cooper case. Right. You almost wonder if people who had the wrong suspect would be like, "But that's BS too, right?" Like, I think there would be
0: a few people that would definitely do that. Yeah, don't don't listen. Overwhelming evidence.
1: Don't listen to that evidence because it's not accurate. And here's something about that testimony that makes it not accurate. It's still not the right suspect. I could totally see that. Oh yeah, me too. I, you, you gave me an idea, you, like I'd say a while ago when I was listening to the show and I even wrote it down. I wrote down some notes and I wrote down, it would be really cool if like the FBI was like, okay, we 100% have Cooper and we're letting the world know that we have Cooper. And in the next two weeks, we will officially release the name in the press conference. And then like in Vegas, there's like 20 people that you can pick and there's odds and you can bet on what the name is gonna be. And like you have I all would these be different
0: so into that. Yeah, it's
1: so cool, right? And I thought I was like, wouldn't it be so cool? Obviously, I don't think the FBI can condone like betting on a case like that, but <laughs> I thought it would be so cool if maybe privately, right? Like if the FBI was like, we have the suspect, we're gonna announce it at this press conference, and then all of a sudden they were like Vegas odds, right? Like the Oscars where like sometimes the people will bet on the strangest things and then it's like 20 names and all those names have odds of being the, you know, the, the, the suspect that they declare is Cooper. Um, of course, if it wasn't any of the suspects that we sort of know and love, then names that stick out might be a red flag, right? Like if there was one name on the list of 20 suspects and the odds were really bad and this name was at the bottom, And it was a name no one in the Cooper vortex had heard. People might be like, that's D.B. Cooper. That's the one. And none of us knew it. So I don't know. It'd be really cool, though. I'd take a bet.
0: Do you think Cooper is
1: a name that we haven't heard yet? Meaning like, do I think we haven't heard the suspect's name? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I know people are like, you're crazy. I do. I don't think we have any idea who Cooper is. Um, I don't think that we ever will. And I'm kind of okay with that, but I really truly believe that we don't. Here's what I do think though, to piggyback on what you just said, I think someone out there does know who DB Cooper is and is not saying. I do think there is someone out there who is pretty confident they know who Cooper is or has some type of confirmation and is not saying anything. Uh, I don't know what the motive is there. Perhaps the money, who knows? That money could be in an attic somewhere, I don't know but I think there's somebody out there who knows maybe who Cooper is and is not saying a word. I don't know, but that's, it's very possible.
0: It is very possible. I I wonder who that would be at this point in time now. I mean, even Cooper's kids would be at the very least in their
1: sixties. Right. Well, that's why like Marla's story is interesting. Right. Because she was, she, she was like, when she tells that story, she was much younger. And so she was just a child. Right. So You listen to her story and it's like plausible, right? At a young age, you know, the uncle, very plausible. Not saying it's true, but plausible.
0: Why do you think this won't ever be solved?
1: Well, I think the ship sailed. I think that's it. Like all the valuable evidence is gone. I think the ship sailed. You know, I, I don't think that any new evidence just pops up and suddenly like changes the game, barring a body Bones, a parachute that has some type of official evidence on it. um Although the story of the lockbox the other day was really cool, right? That was Tim Collins again, right? Yeah, yeah. The lockbox story was very cool. That was like a really long podcast. I'm totally into the long ones, so you know, I saw it and it was like four hours that episode, and I was like, "What is going on here?" I was like, "This is so interesting. Why is this four hours?" But you know, his Tim Collins he's got a lot of knowledge of the case specifically pertaining to that family. And it's interesting listening to him talk because he can talk forever about like the minutia, right? The little details. It's so, even if that wasn't the truth and Dwayne Weber was not D.B. Cooper, because who knows, right? Allegedly. Even if it wasn't the case, like Tim brings so much detail to that story that you can't help but become intrigued by it. Wasn't he even in the beginning, like, no way? Didn't he think there was no way that he was a suspect?
0: Yes. He, yeah. uh, I believe it was he was trying to eliminate Dwayne as a suspect <laughs> real quick. got
1: <laughs> a 180. Yeah. <laughs> right? There you go. See, if that's the case, that's the Cooper Vortex. It is the
0: Cooper Vortex. Yeah. And I mean, talking with Tim privately, you know, I was talking to him about, oh, how's your family feel about this? Do they just roll their eyes as as soon as the subject comes up? And he was just like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone's tired of it. And I, I feel the same way. And my own family is tired of hearing me talk about it,
1: but it's like, that's all of us. (laughs)
0: It's all of us. I remember Tom K saying to me, Oh, yeah. When I first started and I got this opportunity to do this weird D.B. Cooper thing, I thought, oh, that'll be fun to work on for six months. And he's been in the vortex for 10 years now. And when he told me that, I laughed and I was like, ha, that won't happen to me. I'm much better than that. And I can't escape. I mean, not even escape. I can't put it down. I mean, I checked the drop zone in the D.B. Cooper forum, no joke, like four times today and that's not that's not unusual it's like i just i'm bored i go on my phone and it's not facebook or twitter the first thing i reach for it's the drop zone in the db cooper forum
1: yeah i was thinking today uh when i was listening to your episode because um uh, uh dan who was on i shouldn't say he was on this morning i don't know when you had him on but i listened to dan this morning right and he was talking about how, like, you're the new steward in a, in a way of the, of the sort of Cooper vortex. And I thought to myself, like, if Bruce is the mayor of Cooperville or like if he was the sheriff or like the governor, you'd be like the deputy or lieutenant governor at this point right? Because you know, have... I'll be the
0: crazy guy in town that hosts the <laughs> radio show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's good too. That's all right. People, as long as people listen, right. But I, I mean it, you've collected like a ton of people in one place and you give a lot of people a platform, no matter how like left field or I don't know, um, just sort of like untraditional their theory is or their concept of what Cooper is or how it happened. You give like a lot of people a platform And something that you do that's interesting is like, you don't really criticize people when they give you their pitch or their two cents. You're very much a listener in that way. And I think that's, what's interesting. Like you just give them the platform to get their story out. Let the audience be the judge, right? The audience can, if they have something interesting and maybe your audience is really like sort of latching onto it, you bring them back maybe for some more. But I think that's a really cool way of sort of doing It's just giving a lot of different people platforms even if some of them are like, nah, that's not Cooper.
0: Yeah, I mean, my most requested episode by far was John Cameron on Ed Edwards. Ah, oh. And Ed Edwards is a very fascinating story and mm-hmm. a wild one and interesting. And Cameron's book is even more wild than that. But there's really like nothing to link Ed Edwards to being Cooper.
1: Yeah, you need concrete stuff. Right, like if you're even going to entertain a suspect, you really need some concrete, not proof or evidence, because we really don't have much of that. But something that points to the case and is enough to re-examine or examine more in depth. Right, so always those suspects who we have a lot of details to examine that really make the best suspects. And again, I don't think any of them necessarily will ever ever be proven. We sort of like to gravitate to the ones that are like. Well, this person has like two or three good points. And this person has seven or eight. But this person consistently has like 20 bits of information that all click. Now, we probably can conclude they weren't the person or that they were not Cooper. But there's still so much evidence there that makes their, uh, you know, the case for them being Cooper certainly not one to write off.
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by things all the time. I mean, I am a very gullible person. So I have to like check myself on that sometimes. Mm. But I remember seeing Nat LaFolk's book pop up, D.B. Cooper Exposed on Amazon. And like, Mm. I'm on top of everything. So as soon as a D.B. Cooper project or anything pops up, I'm there. And I saw that one. And on Amazon, it said like pointing to E. Howard Hunt being Mm. D.B. Cooper. And it was just, I was like, oh, no way. This book is going to be insane And I got it and I started reading it and I was like, this book is great. And like, I'm still not sure how I feel about E. Howard Hunt as a suspect. He had the ability to plan this. Certainly he probably had the ability to pull it off. He's a dead ringer for the sketches and it's a very interesting story. But I think one of the most valuable things about Nat LaFolk and that book is he did a really deep dive into the sketches of
1: yeah. One thing I, I want to interrupt you, but one thing I've always listened for on your podcast, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't recall that you've ever touched it or brought it up. Have you ever read the story of Martin McNally? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was right. working I, to
0: get him on the show. Uh, that sort of fell apart. I'll probably uh re-approach that here soon.
1: Okay. Because I heard his uh, episode on episode 100 of Criminal. Yeah. Um, and he did
0: that uh, American Skyjacker series.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I just I I, I listened to Criminal a lot. Uh, I love that podcast, and I they got to episode 100, and you know, I was like walking the dog, and it was like in 1971, a man named Dan Cooper boarded an airline, and I was like, "What's going on? This is so great!" And they did the Martin McNally one, and I was like, "This is so interesting." The reason I thought McNally was so fascinating was for everybody who comes to the vortex or argues in the forums and says. This guy had experience. McNally had none whatsoever. And I wrote my book before I ever heard of the McNally case. And after I finished my book, I was like, this is plausible. McNally did it, you know? Because at first I was like, wait a minute, maybe I sort of crossed the line. Is it possible that maybe I went too far fetched? I don't know. Maybe my details are off. And I was like, no, he did it. Right. With no experience. What do you say? went to the library for like a handful of hours,
0: went to the library and there were three books about skydiving and he read most of them.
1: Yeah. Said he had rarely, if ever been on a plane, never put a parachute on, never jumped out of a plane, walked out with (laughs) (laughs) $502,000.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And he doesn't even make the jump sound that difficult.
1: No, he (laughs) makes it sound like so easy. Like he went for a bike ride.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that American Skyjacker, I only remember him saying like he jumped out of the plane and was surprised by how hard the wind hit him. But then yeah. he gets his bearings, pulls the chute and yeah, lands safely a, on the ground. Makes, makes a landing, yeah. All the Cooper copycats survived their jump without incident.
1: Yeah, all, all caught, all survived, right? Mm-hmm. That's wild. It's so crazy. It, it just, to me, you know, I think that sort of, It makes it makes the theory that this guy had tons of experience, you know, it was a conspiracy or something or he was a, a government official or he had war experience or all these things that people bring up. And I do believe those are all valid. I'm not knocking any of those theories. A lot of people have really good reason to believe that this gentleman, whoever Cooper was or lady, had plenty of experience. Right. And. I just think that like a lot of the ones like you just said who were arrested and survived like kind of kind of makes that theory a little weak, you know, because it's like I don't know, a lot of these people didn't have that much experience or if they did have some experience, they all survived. So people who say he definitely died he definitely died in the jump. Really? I don't know if he definitely died in the jump. Possibly, sure, but not definitely.
0: Not definitely. I mean, I I would put his odds at surviving At 95%.
1: That's high. Wow.
0: What would you say the odds are of surviving
1: the jump? Um, Well, you know, I don't understand all of the finer physics of it. And I certainly have never done any skydiving. But I think if he knew the area uh, to a certain degree, and at least he knew how to land or, uh, you know, survive, maybe a minor injury, um, an injury that could be walked off uh, or at least survived. But I think the idea that he survived, I'm going like 80%. I say 80% survival.
0: 80%. All right. It's 95, but okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's another reason. Ready? Uh, That money did wind up at Tina Bar, right? Unless somebody found it, kept it, and didn't say anything, and then decided to release some of it for, I don't know, fun and games. That would make me suspect that he was alive way after when that money found its way to Tina Bar. How do you think the money got to Tina Barr? I'm going to have to agree with some of those theories that say it was, it was put there. Uh, I just, that money probably shouldn't exist being exposed to the elements, right? Like after being exposed to the elements that long, I don't see how the money wouldn't have shown more evidence of wear and tear by the way. All right. I'm just going to throw this out there. If you know anyone or if you've spoken with anybody who has or has access to a Cooper bill, I am in the market for one. I would like one. So if you ever know anybody who's selling one, well, hopefully you're rich, Clark. I don't know what the cost is, but I'd at least like to like entertain it. I'm not rich <laughs> by any <laughs> means. I'm trying to sell books here, but I'd at least like to know what the price is. Like, I'd like to get an idea of like what a piece of Cooper bill goes. For. I don't know. Do you know what one has even sold for?
0: I I don't want to quote anything off the top of my head. Okay. So let me, I couldn't track, find it, but I like, think I, there I, are
1: I, a few thousand. Yeah. I looked online and I tried to find like a price and all I saw was a lot of conjecture of people going, Oh, I hope you got a lot of money out, you know, it's, it's going to be tons of money. And I just couldn't get a straight answer on like what a piece of Cooper bill goes for. I found a lot of people who have a piece, but I couldn't find anybody who actually was, had bought one or was selling one. Um, I guess if anybody was selling any of them, it would have had to be Brian Ingram, correct? Like he sold any of the ones that were still remaining, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the, rest the bills that the... came into,
0: uh, into the public are from Brian Ingram. He sold a bunch of them in like 2008.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, no, I'm not rich, but I, if somebody presented a piece of the bill to me and it could be authenticated, there is that company, I can't remember the name of it, there is that company that authenticates the bills. Um, but if somebody had one and was interested in selling it Clark at clarkmayor.com, I I, I'd at least like to know what you want for it. Even if it's just a shred, because if it was just like a little shred, I mean, I'd frame it and I'm, I'm, I'm big on like movie posters and stuff like that and framing cool things. I have a, uh, can't see it here, but I have a, a first edition 1901 print of Dracula from American First Edition, so like I like connect uh, collecting kind of like old cool stuff like that. Um, I have so many posters that I've never even framed, signed by you know stars from the movies and things like that. So a Cooper bill is always something I've wanted. And so if there is somebody out there who's curious, and or maybe is looking to sell one, or knows someone who might have one, or is looking to sell one, I I, I would like to at least entertain an offer.
0: Mark Metzler has one, but I. I guarantee you he's not willing to part with it.
1: Yeah, I know. Are they bringing, are they bringing any to CooperCon?
0: I'm sure they are. There I, were I thought I saw that you had
1: said someone was going to bring Two it, right? Out. Yeah. That's cool. Are you
0: going to CooperCon?
1: I wish I could. I'm in Vegas that week.
0: Oh, dang it.
1: Yeah. What's the official dates
0: again? Uh, November 19th and 20th. Let me uh, double check that to make sure I'm telling the truth here. But uh,
1: Oh, yeah. Looks like I'm yeah, in Vegas. November but-
0: uh, 19th through the 21st. So Friday is the 19th. we got that little slow gathering. And then the yeah. actual festival is the 20th and 21st.
1: You know, it's possible that I could always like manage to try to get a flight out there. You know, I can't make any guarantees. Um, I run a business here in, 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 in Jersey. So it's kind of really hard to get away. I mean, I do most of my writing at 6 a.m. every day. And then I go back to like real work. So, I, you know, I can't say that I would definitely go. But I can tell you this. If I couldn't go this year... I would certainly go next year because I've been just reading so much about it and hearing, I thought it was so cool when you sent me, when I first spoke with you and you sent me the um, the link and it said that you were MC and I was like, how cool is that that you're the MC of CooperCon now?
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool. I uh, I wish when I started reading D.B. Cooper books that I could go back in time and tell myself like, you're getting yourself into something crazy here and this is going to become <laughs> yeah. your life. Do you if want you to had, keep reading these books or do you it, want to switch to something else?
1: Yeah. If you had, well, you started with Jeffrey Gray's Skyjack, right? Yeah. So fun fact, I've Skyjack is the only D.B. Cooper book I've ever read. And I read it after I wrote the screenplay and my first pass at the novel because I didn't want to be influenced by everybody else's theories. I sort of did a lot of digging on the internet, got a lot of the facts, as you can see, that I was confident in, or that I could be happy including in this story. And then I totally stopped looking at everyone's theories and just some of the details because I never wanted to include anybody else's details in my story unless the Cooper Vortex could agree on them. Right? Like, I don't think there's very many things in the story that people can't agree on other than the things I've very clearly fictionalized. The rest of the details are things that people generally agree on.
0: I would I would agree with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you have not read Max Gunther's book, DB Cooper? What really happened?
1: No. So my goal is, um, so I've just finished like a bunch of manuscripts. I'm, I'm approaching break time, um, and so now that I'm kind of gotten like a lead or a good head start on some of my releases you know, um, I'm gonna go back and read some more Cooper books because I just never wanted to be too influenced. The, I read Jeffrey Gray's book, oddly enough, I read it because I had titled my first screenplay, Skyjack, right? Um, and never knowing that, now with the screenplay, it's like, you don't have to worry about the trademark or copyright of a script like that because you're putting it out there on spec, right? If you sell it or someone's gonna make it, you can change the title. Until then, it's just a concept, right? And I was calling it Skyjack, never having even known about Jeffrey Gray's book at all. And I finished my first draft, and then I finished a draft of the book, and then I saw that I went and researched all the titles of D.B. Cooper books. Then I was like, what are all the Cooper books? What are their titles? What are some of the clever things and play on words that people have done? And I saw Skyjack was like, number one, number one seller, right? That's the definitive Cooper story. Although I love that Jeffrey Gray doesn't get so much into the case, but gets involved in like uh, just the people surrounding the case, right? He gets sort of swept up in it. That's why I think Jeffrey Gray's book is so good. But then I finally read Jeffrey Gray's book and I loved it. I thought it was really cool. And after that, I was like, all right, I'm never going to release a book called Skyjack, A, because I don't want to use that title. That's, that's his sort of territory, right? He's like claimed Skyjack, so I wouldn't want to use that. And B, I was like, well, it's going to be a terrible idea if I put that book all over the internet. And anytime people look up Skyjack, Jeffrey Gray's book's going to come up, right? And I'll be like trailing behind. I wrote a very different story. And of course, again, it's fiction. But still, I was like, that's I didn't want to do that. But yeah, Skyjack was the name of the screenplay. So... There you
0: go. Well, next, I, w- I want you to read Max Gunther's book.
1: Okay, I'm going to write it's it down. Not,
0: it's not one of the most popular, but I think it's one of the most interesting.
1: You've mentioned that that's one of your favorites.
0: It's an odd book. I mean, Max Gunther was a very serious journalist. He releases the book, uh, D.B. Cooper, What Really Happened, as nonfiction, and says in the very beginning, this is a story told to me. I don't know if it's true, I but I believe it to be true. And I... I just don't know what to think of that book. Some of the things, the book came out in uh, 84, 85, I believe. And some of the things in that book we've found out since its release would be relevant. I mean, in the book, he was working in in industrial chemicals, I believe. And then some of the things found on the tie point to, it's very likely he worked in industrial chemicals. Uh, There's this Lake Elsinore parachute visit drop zone visit that's in the book. When the FBI files are released, oh, there was a Lake Elsinore parachute visitor that was suspicious. So he had some of these things right before they would have been public knowledge. So how did he wow. you know that? And the the story yeah. is basically told from from his his girlfriend essentially after he passes to Max Gunther.
1: Wow, that's interesting. That kind of reminds me of um there's a Jack Higgins book called The Eagle Has Landed. And it's like a fictional, it's a good movie about it too. A lot of big stars in it. Um, It's like a fictional story about a plan to, uh, during the second world war to kidnap Winston Churchill. But in the beginning of the book, Jack Higgins is sort of playing himself as the narrator. And the first chapter is him as like a journalist going to uh, Germany to try to investigate some type of story. And he goes off on this tangent. And in the beginning of the book, he tells you, uh, this story could be fiction or nonfiction. It's up to you to decide whether it is or not. And when you start the book, it's such a fun read because you're like, you know you picked up a fiction novel, but then he sort of sets you up for like, but it could be true. And you're like, oh wow, this just made the read more interesting (laughs) and this is the first chapter, you know? Yeah, So,
0: but that's a good one. That's one. There are a few people who are fans of that book, and I I really enjoy talking to them about it. And most of the other people in the vortex just yeah, it's garbage. Who cares? But there are it does have its fans.
1: All right, I'll have to pick that up. Maybe that'll be the next one I read. You know whose book I've always wanted to read too, and I've never read it. Bruce's like I know that Bruce's is sort of like if you're not reading Jeffrey Gray's book, you got to read Bruce's book, right? Like that's like the other entry into the. It's sort of the Cooper vortex, right?
0: Yeah. I always say if you're new to the case, read Skyjack. If you yeah. think you know about the case or you know a lot, read Bruce's book.
1: Yeah. D.B. Cooper he, and the FBI?
0: Yeah. D.B. Cooper and the FBI. If you think he died in the jump, I'll point you to Marty Andrade's book, mm. uh, Finding Dv Cooper, Chasing the Last Lead.
1: Marty's a good guest, too.
0: Marty's a great guest.
1: Yeah. He's
0: very well thought out. He has his opinions. He's, he's reserved on things where he's like, oh, I'm not really a hundred percent on that.
1: Yeah. I and don't a think genuinely nice guy. It's very hard to commit to anything in this story. I, I, that's how I've always felt. And again, that's sort of like what inspired me to do my own thing was I was just like, I, it's so hard to commit to any of the, the details in this story, which sh- to me, I was like, I can commit to everything up to the jump strictly because of eyewitness testimony, right? Like most of the things we can agree on happened before the jump. After that, it's all up in the air. And, you know, even the details preceding boarding the plane are also up in the air. But what happened from the arrival at the airport to the jump, most of the people agree on the facts concerning what happened on the plane. Sure, there's some deviation. There's minor deviations in the details. I get that, you know, but the general ideas are the same. You know, nobody is like, there's certainly things that like even still are questionable. Like, what about the, uh, sorry, what about the, um, what's that, uh, the, the parachute, right? It's like, well, did he use the parachute that was, you know, inactive or inoperable? Um, or did he use this parachute? Well, why would he use that parachute? Did he even know how to use this parachute? So, like, even when you're talking about being on the plane, it still sort of gets bogged down in the details. But I think that you listen to the testimonies of those on the plane; those are things we can generally stick with. I think.
0: Oh, I agree. I mean, I've I've avoided talking about the parachutes because yeah. there is so much debate, and I've read so many different versions of accounts that I'm not 100% sure on the details of the parachutes myself. Flyjack has done some really interesting work on that. Mm -hmm. And so I think we know more now than we did eight months ago, even. Yeah, But it is is interesting that the whole D.B. Cooper story only takes place on the plane. There's no story before that, and there's no story after that.
1: That's why Jeffrey Gray's book is good, because he found the story in the after part right? Like he found the story after the story that we all sort of know and love. He found something else in there. And I think that's really interesting. Having said that, you know, I I knew that I had to stick to that too. I had to sort of stick to the, I always look at it as like, it was like a sandwich. It was like the plane was going to be like the deli meats and all the, uh, I don't know, accoutrements or the, uh, you know, the little sort of Uh, you know, accessories you would put on and right up to getting onto the plane and right after the plane was going to be like the slices of bread for me, at least.
0: In your book, there's a clear motivation for him doing this. Yes. What do you think Cooper's motivation was? And is it similar to the one in your book?
1: Yeah. So I I can totally, I don't mind giving that away. So my, my Cooper, Al's motivation, Al's motivation is, um, you know, I think he sort of believes in this idea of this hijacking as a magic trick, right? I come, again, my background is filmmaking. So, you know, often filmmaking is sort of like a magic trick, sort of like set the audience up for the trick. You know, um, you deliver some action and then you kind of give them the surprise or the reveal. And if it's good, it leaves an audience satisfied. Um, Even Christopher Nolan did that in like The Prestige. I don't know if you've ever seen The Prestige. I love The Prestige. Okay. So The Prestige is kind of that idea, right? It's like act one, act two, and act three all stand in for those ideas. And I've always kind of liked that. And so that was my goal. And so in my story, Al's motivation is this idea of a magic trick, a legacy, infamy, leaving something behind doing something to make up for the things he didn't do. And that to me was interesting. When I started writing this story, I actually came up with some ideas and I shelved it. And then I came up with more ideas when I was running in Central Park. I was running in Central Park one day and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, okay, Al is dying. And I was like, that's good. I really like that. I was like, what does a dying man have to lose? Because everybody was like, who would do that? It's crazy. Jump out of an airplane. To me, I was like, but what does a dying man have to lose? If you are soon to be dead already, why would you worry about dying in the jump, right? Or being caught for that matter. So I was like, okay, number one, Al has terminal illness. Number two for me was like, and he's very interested in this idea of a magic trick at 30,000 feet. Like that's what really pushed me over the edge and I went home and I wrote that first pass of the screenplay in like I don't know eight days you know not that's not like a brag or anything um an eight day screenplay is going to need a lot of work and cleaning up you're sort of just like throwing it all at the page
0: but it just started pouring
1: out of you yeah pouring out because I was like oh he's dying and that gives him nothing to lose and then I was sort of inspired by like well, what's he going to tell people why he's doing it? And, or rather, why is he going to tell people he's doing it? He, I don't want to be so on the nose, but I was just interested in this, like, what if he was sort of hyper aware that if he got away with it, it would be the greatest crime. So this is a man operating on the fact that he's going to be dead and has nothing to lose. And more importantly, that if he does get away with it, he's sort of aware of the legacy or infamy that it will leave behind far after he is gone and that was enough to give me the motivation to get everything i needed going in the story right then i was like oh and the airline owner is a big character and we need an fbi character and like you sort of compared robin to to tina or 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 um you know or or flo or yeah I just sort of consolidated, right? Like just one good character because I do not want all these characters, too many characters, right? So I was like, let me consolidate just one airline attendant into one character that can be a good character to bounce conversation off of. And also sort of provide an antagonistic force. So what's Cooper's real reason? I'm gonna have to agree with like myself. I truly don't believe it had anything to do with the money Some people might say, like, stick it to the man. Uh, The grudge is a big, obviously a big one. But I'm going to have to lean towards just like something about doing what he did, that he knew what he was doing in terms of stirring the pot. Like, I think that Cooper knew we're going to do something really crazy because we can. We're going to get away with it or say we, you know, maybe I'm assuming someone else was involved or helping, but he knew he was going to do what he was going to do and get away with it. And that's why the money never turned up, or at least a fragment of the money, a very tiny portion of the money turned up. Because I think that it wasn't about the money. I do. And I made that like very clear in my book. I did not shy away from that. It's not about the money.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Do you think any, the money could have been spent?
1: Yeah. Well, so you've done probably... Better research on that. I thought one episode you did that was really good was you brought that gentleman in who talked about um, currency and like you know just the 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 sort of money and how it goes around and what the likelihood of it being spent is and you know do I think that the money was spent? It's possible could be sitting in a like that money could be sitting in a bank vault collecting dust, a dust dust and have just sat there for the last like 40 or 50 years, not been touched, right? I don't know the mechanics or the sort of, I don't know, flow of how money comes in and out of banks or how long money can sit in one place or when paper money sort of becomes obsolete. I don't know those details. But do I think that money could have been spent? I don't think that it was maybe spent in tiny fragments or tiny portions, like maybe buying a piece of gum but I think maybe it was exchanged, laundered in some way. Is that a good answer?
0: That's a good answer. I've,
1: yeah, laundered.
0: I've sort of changed my mind in the beginning. When I started the show, I was like, oh yeah, he totally could have spent that money. Uh, they were sending bank tellers like a physical list of the notes to look for. And it's just, they would have stopped looking almost right away. But then I had mm-hmm. Arthur on and he's like, well, you would only need to tell the tellers really which notes to check for. And then they would know, okay, this is a note I need to compare against that list. So it wasn't like- Wouldn't that still be a lot of work though? It would, but Cooper, most of Cooper's bills were like 63 or 69 series A with a lot of them were star note bills. So they had things in them that would stick out in a twenty then was equivalent to what a $100 bill is now. Good point. So I think there would have been keen tellers that wanted to be the one that found a Cooper bill.
1: So like the list list of numbers that it could be in those bills was very long. However, the specific details to look for were not that rare, or, or rather I should say were very specific and so would make a bill easier to spot had someone come across one.
0: Exactly. okay. And if you're a teller, you knew exactly what to look for. Anything, you know, 69 Series A with the star on it, that is one I definitely have to check against this list. And then and he was so confident when I asked him, do you think any of the money was spent? Immediately, he's like, no. There's no way that you have $9,020 bills entering circulation and... Not a single one ever gets flagged in a transaction. He's just said, it's not possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think that money is somewhere. My best guess, truly, if you said, Clark, you know, uh, gun to your head, where's the Cooper money? It's in an attic somewhere. That's what I think. I, I really do. I think that money is in a chest, in an attic, in a safe somewhere, probably not somewhere where someone's going to stumble upon it. I think perhaps somebody knows what they have. And, or at least maybe someone knew what they had and that money is somewhere probably maybe even in one place, or at least let's see how many, uh, how many bills were found? $3,000 worth of bills, roughly 5,800. I'm sorry, 5,800. So $5,800 were found roughly, you know, that leaves, you know, uh, whatever, a hundred, you know, 90 Four I'm doing quick math in my head. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> hundred ninety uh, three thousand and eight or two hundred. Um, yeah, there we go. Close enough. Um, I wonder if maybe that money is all in one place somewhere, collected, sitting there, not having been touched for quite a while.
0: Now that possible. money, let's say that money gets found tomorrow, mm. and the person who had the money decides they're going to auction those bills off individually. Would you rather have a nice clean one from the attic or one where the edges have been eaten away from. Yeah, I, want an In-
1: I know. I want an Ingram bill. I'm going to call them Ingram bills. I want an Ingram bill. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are the cool ones. Right. I would imagine that his bills would probably be worth more money. Actually, it would probably devalue all of the bills. Like if all of those bills were found, I'm going to say it's safe to say the FBI is taking all of them. All right, nobody's getting any. Maybe the person who found them might get a couple or something like that. Maybe they cut it up into pieces or something. But um, you know, I'm pretty confident that either it makes the value of the bills go up on, on, on the ones that were found at Tina Bar or perhaps if they were going to be auctioned or something like that, I don't know, maybe there's a statute of limitations thing there, but I guess that money is still the property of, I don't know, the bank doesn't exist anymore, right? Or the airline technically that money might be property of the airline or at least any type of insurance involved in it. Correct?
0: I don't know. I've talked to a couple of different lawyers about this subject, about finding the money and can you do anything with it? And they're not sure. They're like, well, there's really no statute of limitations on money itself. Money doesn't belong to them, but you weren't the person that committed the crime. So you just happened to find this money. Yeah. They don't know either. If maybe someone would just
1: take year. like, maybe someone would just take like 10 bills out and then be like, I don't know, there's a few missing. I don't know where they are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, Arthur Friedberg said that, you know, the reason those Cooper bills were worth so much was the cachet of them being rotten and the edges chipped off. He's like, you know, if you have a 1969 Series A with a star on it, it's like that bill is worth like $28. Wow, not a, a valuable note these days. But if it was one of Cooper's, and then they were going to get rid of, you know, nine thousand of them, I I could probably afford one then. Supply and demand would make it so. Nice. Yeah,
1: if they released a lot of them, I'm sure the price would go down considerably. Because um, again, it makes you wonder: like, would there even be? I mean, I suppose so, but would there even be nine thousand people were willing to bid on those bills? Maybe. You know, yeah. I don't need to tell you that like the Cooper Vortex is very small, but um, I don't know, loyal, right?
0: Yeah, there's some dudes in this in this uh, pond that have a couple bucks.
1: Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I didn't know that. I yeah, I, I that's why I'm like curious because you know I've always sort of looked. I do look every once in a while. All right, every like month or so, I'll like plug it in. There's like a few things I've always looked for online. You know, like one day I found, um, I found one of the um, uh, training manuals for um, one of the soldiers in the uh, 101st Airborne, right? Specifically an easy company. I'm a big band of brothers fan. So I had found like someone was selling one um, and I just missed it by a day. And like, I look for the Cooper bills once in a while, but I just never find anything. So I have no idea how you'd even contact someone. It's not like you can go online to like an auction site and being like in search of DB Cooper's bills, right? <laughs> There's so few you could even get that it's kind of hard to to find anyone who's even looking, you know, to say, oh, I've got plenty of them, right? So yeah. But I'd be curious. I'd be curious. At least if someone was going to throw me a number I I'd, and they could verify, then I'd certainly be you know, curious to at least hear what the number was.
0: If you found the money tomorrow, would you spend the money? Would you keep a handful of it to display proudly on your wall? What would you do with it?
1: Uh, I'm a good boy. Turn it over to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, you know what I'd probably do? I'd probably... So... I have some family, federal agents in my family. So maybe I'd talk to them first and be like, what, how do I need to go about this? What's the right way to do this? And then I'd be curious if maybe there was a way that I could keep one or two, at least just as a, a, a sort of token. But, you know, I I'd definitely turned it over. You know why? Here's why I turned it over, Darren. And I don't even want the case to be solved. In, I, I truly believe, I, I, like I enjoyed this mystery, but here's why I turned it over. I would always wonder, all right, if perhaps there's more evidence on those bills, evidence that hasn't been turned over, evidence that hasn't been seen, evidence that could provide more clues or maybe just make the, ver- the vortex like swirl more, <laughs> right? could just make people go even crazier. But um, I'd definitely be turn it over because I'd wonder if, is there more here again? Do we just make more headway? I don't know it's possible i don't think that's likely though that there's some evidence on the bills that we didn't know about
0: yeah and what would it point to i mean if we didn't if the money didn't lead us directly to a suspect right. if you know someone is opens up their wall to do some plumbing repairs and that money was stashed in the wall i mean unless we could figure out someone who lived there at that specific time even that doesn't really point us to anyone
1: no i guess anything short of like a fingerprint right? Um, and even a fingerprint, I, I mean, it would be hard to sort of rule out a suspect, hard to not rule out a suspect, right? Like if you had a favorite suspect, and then somehow they find that fingerprint on the bill, it's like, well, that's pretty good evidence. That's pretty good know, evidence. It's pretty good evidence. <laughs> I don't know. You know, that would be the kind of case-solving evidence. Like if it was one of the series of bills, I believe it's L series, right? Am I saying I remember yeah. correctly? I like wrote it in the story, but I'm like, you know, I've had so many things going on into other books that I'm just like, I don't want to say it wrong, but um, you know, if somebody found those L series bills and they can hundred percent confirm they're the bills. And then suddenly there's a fingerprint or perhaps something DNA related and they can confirm, well, that's some pretty good evidence right there. I don't know at that point, I'd say case closed or at least even if the FBI is not going to close it, I think that at least the people who are into this case can close it. Um, at least, you know, for their own personal sort of gain to just say, like, okay, that's that's the end. We can sort of pack it up and go home, which would kind of suck, to be honest. To it would be a lame like, way it. for
0: the case to end.
1: Yeah. I don't, Darren, I don't think you have to worry. I don't think this case is ever <laughs> gonna, I don't think it's going anywhere. I really don't. It's 50 years.
0: Did you see the story in the news recently? I should have sent this to you, but there was a story about Randy Bachman and someone sent it to me. A fan of his tracked down his guitar that was stolen in like 75
1: yeah so my my father was talking about it it was on like the ticker on the news and someone sent it to me too and i I heard it i mean listen strange things happen these things pop up who knows um it was a
0: db cooper researcher
1: what oh was it oh i didn't know that detail
0: i just saw it on the ticker who who was it uh he goes by Flyjack on the forums.
1: Oh right, that's not that right. That's a, like a forum name. Uh okay. I I've I've heard the name Flyjack many times, but I don't frequent the floor the the forums anymore. Um I did go on them quite a bit um back in the day like maybe like you know when I said the, the beginning of the case, uh I used to look at sluggos quite a bit when I first started looking. That's not even there anymore, is it?
0: No, he is one of the rare people who exited the Vortex.
1: Yeah. So he I, said,
0: I'm done. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. No more DB Cooper. And he had this amazing website, uh, N467US. Yeah,
1: teleport. the right. That, was, that, that mm-hmm. was the website. So I had looked there when I first started. I think that was the first place I went. Drop Zone was another one. Um, and I would sort of like, just sort of look around. I've never posted on any of them. Um, I'm not really into like the forums or the discussion. I barely even post on social media because I just don't have the time to entertain conversation. It's not like I don't like to talk to people, I'm very social. But the problem is on social media, if I post something or I, you know, sort of like contribute to a conversation, then I put my phone in my pocket, I go back to everything else I have to do in the day and I can't keep having the conversation in the replies and stuff like that. that. That to me is very difficult. And so I don't start conversations that I can't like maintain, you know? So I've never posted on any of the forums, but I used to like to read them.
0: Oh yeah. I never posted on the forums until I started doing the show. And then I was like, Hey, uh, you gentlemen might be interested in this show.
1: Do you contribute now to the forums?
0: No, not really. I post new episodes. If someone says something like, Hey, Darren said this on his show, but I'm not sure what he really meant by it. Um, I'll comment but mm. I, I don't have a suspect i'm pushing i i feel i still feel like i don't know as much about the case as these guys on the forums
1: especially the ones who specialize right like the ones who are very good with specific details right like doesn't like tom k right knows so much about the sort of like very very specific details like the microscopic details right oh
0: yeah he did that He got a paper published on the diatoms on the Bills found at TBR.
1: That's the new buzz, right? Diatoms. That's (laughs) the new rage. Diatoms. Well, I remember, you know, he was the first one to be allowed to look at the actual case files. Am I correct? The evidence?
0: Yeah. I think Jeffrey Gray was the first to look at the case files, but then he sort of arranged for uh, Tom to have a look at them. if I'm correct on that. But okay, it is interesting. Like the only forensic work done in this case is done by a civilian paleontologist.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Like I, you know, I good for him. I, I like to have a passion for something that you're really, really good at in, in your spare time to take that expertise into a total other world and contribute to it. It's really cool.
0: Oh, it definitely is. There's a lot of you know, skydiving experts, pilots, uh, airline mechanics. It Mm -hmm. it attracts a lot of people, you know, from those industries. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get you canceled, Clark. Why does this case appeal more to men than women?
1: Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, You you want, truthfully, I I think it's like an identity thing. I, I think men perhaps have this I don't know, men have this like ideal that they're like Cooper maybe or they're like these anti-heroes and maybe it's sort of like a, almost like maybe like Cowboys, like the Westerns, right? It's almost like, like a Clint Eastwood, good, the bad and the ugly, like devil may care, you know? Um, I, I, that's what I think. I think maybe men sort of look at this idea of like Cooper, like they could be the bad guy, but be also at the same time beloved. Yeah,
0: like James Bond.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, listen, my other, uh, so like, you know, Incendiary is my first stab at like crime fiction. My other series, my next series of books is all spy fiction. I love spy fiction. You know, I've read all Fleming's novels and am currently reading many other writers in the sort of spy fiction arena. That's why I've always enjoyed some of your guests that sort of lean towards like Cooper was a um, well-trained individual or perhaps paramilitary or something like that. I don't think it's true. I don't think necessarily that Cooper was some sort of like ex-paramilitary or anything like that, but I enjoy those stories, right? Like I think they're fun to listen to. I think they're fun to entertain, though I don't think that they're necessarily the answer, So why do men love this case? That's what I think it is. I I think that men see themselves in Cooper. I think Bruce has said that, right? He's right. Yeah. yeah. Bruce said that, I think he said it on your show. I think he said it on the end of the HBO doc too, where it's like this idea that like people maybe think they, uh, or they sort of subscribe to this idea of Cooper. I've heard a lot of people talk about the Robin Hood thing. And you know what? I'm gonna, I myself have talked about Robin Hood as the idea of the Cooper thing. But here's the deal. I actually don't buy into that anymore. And I've sort of corrected even my own speech regarding the Robin Hood thing, because Robin Hood like stole from the rich and gave to the poor. And Cooper didn't give any of that money to anybody. So if Cooper maybe took that money and then suddenly it was like, oh, this, uh," you know, the next day, like, Ten thousand people had turkeys on their front doors, right? <laughs> like suddenly, that money was reallocated to something that mattered, and he took all that money and put it back into people's hands. Sure, then you sub- you can subscribe to like the Robin Hood thing, but truthfully, I-, I don't even think that Robin Hood is necessarily like an accurate comparison anymore. I really don't. I'm like, even I used to think that way, Robin Hood, but I'm like, no, I don't think so. This is selfish. This is a selfish thing you know, I could be wrong about that too, but yeah, truthfully, that's, that's a hundred percent why I think maybe men are into this case. I've heard you talk many times about how, like, you know, a lot of um, uh, women listeners are listening to true crime and things like that. And, you know, you've also discussed with some of your guests, how like a lot of people gravitate towards like the grisly murders and stuff. And I think that maybe people look at the Cooper case and they're like, As people have said before, like no one got hurt, perfect crime, right? Imagine if you could do the perfect crime where you mystified everybody and nobody knew what happened. And people said you were a jerk because this is still a dangerous crime. And I guess people, you know, didn't suffer any physical anguish, but still mental or psychological sort of stresses of this case, both during and after the case, as we know. So, I wonder if maybe people were like this is perfect crime. And so people latch onto it, I guess. I, I can't think of any other reason why, but who knows? You know.
0: I, I agree with you. The Robin Hood comparison isn't isn't a good one. I think the yeah. only comparison part that's good is his name's Robin. And, but I like the James Bond angle more. I mean, he when he goes to the gate agent, he introduces himself as Cooper, Dan Cooper.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: And I asked my wife, you know, when I watch a James Bond movie, part of me is like seeing myself in that character. Like, oh, it would be so cool. I could be that way. You know, especially when I was a child, it was like, okay, as soon as the movie ended, I was James Bond. Yeah. And I asked my wife, do you do the same thing? And she was like,
1: no, I don't do that. Sure, a a lot of people wish to see themselves in that Bond character. That's why he's endured forever, right? Like the same James Bond that was active during the Cold War is now somehow younger than he was during the Cold War in the year 2021, right? And so the idea that James Bond is not a man or a person, but a moniker or an identity, right? Uh, this was kind of squashed. Sorry, spoilers maybe for your listeners, but this idea has kind of been thrown out the window recently in recent Bond titles. But I remember pre-Craig era Bonds, the logic was James Bond is not a James Bond and the code name 007 are not a actual person. They are codes that you take on. And this has been sort of like mashed up and re-explored in, in the recent Craig Bond films. So the idea that people would see themselves in Bond or that Bond can endure anywhere is because anybody could become Bond, like you said, if it's only a name. Speaking of James Bond, what do you think about the
0: Dan Cooper comic book?
1: Oh, did it influence? Yeah, I love that. I love the Dan Cooper comic. I do, because again, I'm so like influenced by fiction that I'm like, read that comic, knew that was a thing, took it. Yeah, I'm with it. I, I, sure, there's reasons to believe it's not true. There's reasons to certainly uh, say that it's coincidence. Cooper's a pretty common last name, right? And um, Dan's a pretty common first name too. So the idea that someone might be like Dan Cooper uh, is not crazy, right? If, if he had hijacked the airliner as John Smith, right? It's the same thing. So I'm not going to say that uh, it's impossible that, you know, the comic has nothing to do with it, but I love the idea that the comic influenced it. I mean, he was a fighter pilot and like a test pilot and the name Dan Cooper, right? But then again, what a shame that we're sort of now stuck with D.B. Cooper because that kind of backfired, huh?
0: I don't know. I, I think D.B. Cooper is a much more fun and interesting name than Dan Cooper. Yeah. I mean, most people don't even know that he went by Dan Cooper. I mean, if you don't know yeah. the case real well, it's D.B. Cooper.
1: Yeah. One little piece of misinformation, right? I, so I tried to poke a little fun at that in my book, too. Oh, just, yeah. Just for the fun of it. And
0: I think the FBI enjoyed that it got reported as D.B. Cooper because then they had that up their sleeve. Like, he really went by Dan Cooper. We know that. And the public doesn't know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's and I and really it's like now, even the fact that the name has become the, the wrong name has become more famous post case than the real name, which we can probably all likely guess isn't the real name in the first place. So, this just sort of like continues this de- descent down this rabbit hole of madness of like, well, we can't even agree on a name. If it's real, if it's not real, if it's the right one, if the media misquoted it or the FBI stuck with it. And it's like, man, we can't even get on the same page with the name. So how are we ever going to get on the same page with some of these details? It seems impossible.
0: Well, it's only been 50 years. Come on. Yeah, right? Do you think his bomb was real? No. Why not?
1: Bomb was not real. Um, Well, I do like to subscribe to this idea of this sort of big showy event. And so I genuinely don't believe that the gentleman who stepped foot on the plane that day, or lady, had any intention of harming anybody or risking it. Because that's two very different kinds of people, right? Like the person who gets on that plane and is going to hijack that plane and is very prepared to do it is also not going to fear physical violence or anything like that and so the idea that the bomb was a fake to me is consistent with the way that he treated the flight personnel and passengers if that makes sense i I, that's my best guess i
0: haven't heard it put that way before but that does make a lot of sense yeah
1: i i am not a psychologist uh but i'm going to assume that a guy who doesn't intend to hurt anybody doesn't bring a real bomb either, because if it goes wrong, boy oh boy, did that really backfire! You're gonna go from being this sort of infamous legend to terrible person in like a second. I don't know. No, yo, bomb is fake, hundred percent.
0: Hundred percent, bomb yep. fake. I like the confidence in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's like you're um, survived the jump right? Like you're 95% survived the jump. I'm 95% bomb was fake.
0: I'm 95% bomb was fake too. I used to be a hundred percent, but there's a chance he was crazier than we think.
1: Yeah. Oh wait, here's another one. I'm sorry. I don't want to take up your time, here's another thing that I'm after. And if you know anybody or anybody listening does, again, get me at clark at clarkmayor.com. I spell Clark with an E C L A R K E. I really want a D.B. Cooper wanted poster, right? So you saw the one, I actually got one sitting here right next to me. You saw the one that I did for fun like this, all Mm -hmm. right? I haven't actually been taking these with tape and just like sticking them around town just for the fun of like some good old, (laughs) yeah, some good old, actually I I stuck it at the grocery store and they took it down three days later. But I have these little, um, you know, little wanted posters with QR codes just for the fun of like some physical advertising. Um, I'm not going to say that anybody's going to buy the book based on that QR code, but just for the fun of like, you know, the Cooper sort of vortex, I really want a real wanted poster and I don't, I can't find one. Again, that's another thing. Like I'd have to imagine that someone pulled one down somewhere or somebody has one on a shelf in a box, in a shoe box somewhere, a legit original wanted poster. That's something I'm after too, which I'm sure is probably way cheaper than the bills, but I can't find an original, you know, just one that hung on that Thanksgiving weekend in November. That's what I want. Or at least, you know, the December following. I know there's two versions of the poster, I think if I'm correct.
0: Yeah. Brian Woodruff had a, an original poster Yeah. from, it was, I want to say it was like January or February of
1: 72. Yeah, that's, He's like, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for.
0: So I, I don't know what happened to that. I have a repop that I got off Etsy, which is like on a piece of paper made to look aged and they printed it out.
1: Yeah, I've seen, so I've seen all those and like, they're cool. You know, it's like, if listen, if I could never get a legit one, that would be fine too. But I've always wanted a really, really legit one. Um, I'm sure again, that's more affordable. So... You know, if I could find one like that, I, you know, if somebody wants to sort of throw me a number for what something like that might look like, I would love to have one of those too. Cause then I'd get it framed and hang. I mean, you could see I kind of like frame posters and put them up and stuff. I got posters all over, but you can't see a lot of them. So, um, you know, I would love to get one of those. That would be really cool. Um, So that's another thing I'm interested in, but
0: yeah. Now you have me thinking what memorabilia from the case would I want?
1: Yeah. Cause like what else You know what else could you get? Oh, you know what I was watching. Uh, I was watching Narcos Mexico, and I'm pretty sure there's a scene in which the cartel goes and buys a bunch of decommissioned airplanes to smuggle cocaine to America. And I'm pretty sure they're 727 100s. And I thought to myself, they go to this auction, uh, I think in Colombia or something like that, or uh, maybe it's in Mexico, and they have this like huge runway with all these airplanes and people are allowed to come bid on them and one of the gentlemen from the cartel goes and like buys all the planes right and i'm pretty sure they're all 727 100s and i was like wow wouldn't it be interesting if someone had like bought that plane had bought you know flight 305 and was like this would be so cool to have in your backyard. (laughs) Keep the plane in your backyard. Your backyard must be a lot
0: bigger than mine. Well,
1: not mine. I don't know I'm saying. I can't keep it in my backyard. I also can't afford a plane. So, But that plane was broken up and decommissioned and torn apart, right? Yeah. Yeah. What else could you get? I can't think of anything else that you could get, um, you know, from the case that would be abundant enough that it wouldn't cost incredible amounts of money. That's why I said like the wanted posters, like probably a little bit more doable. Um, It's not money, so.
0: Yeah, now you have me wondering, do I need an original wanted poster? Yeah,
1: think you do need one. And if you find some, listen, I'll tell you what, get me a number. And if you can find some, you can find a few, all right? And they're reasonable price, I'll buy you one. I'll buy you one. I'll send it to you. I'll buy myself one and I'll send it over to you. If you can find them at a reasonable price and maybe someone who has, I don't know, handful or something like that, because then I would really consider buying one. Um, I, I just I, I, I just don't know where to find them. I was like you, I found all these like reprinted ones. So I don't know. You know. Gosh,
0: what do I need from the case? I haven't thought about that before.
1: What I've else could be found in books. abundance? Like what else could you find that's Sort of readily available in large numbers that wouldn't make it exorbitantly expensive, but is also not sort of like in the FBI's possession.
0: Okay, I thought of something. Go ahead. Oh, I like this. At the aerial store, there was a Rainier beer sign in neon that had DB Cooper falling out of the sky in the sign in neon that was made special for the aerial store by Rainier
1: beer. Like Mount Rainier? Yeah. Wow, that's cool. And that's like a one-of-a-kind custom thing.
0: One-of-a-kind custom thing. I I guarantee Brian's family has it in their possession, but if I could have one thing, it would be
1: that. Wow. I hope I hope after this episode, see, you're going to do me a favor because you've already had me on the show, which I'm very grateful for. I want, I also want to say thank you very much for letting me come talk to you because this is like an honor to come hang out with you. It's like very strange for me to like listen to, to you talk to so many people and you know, you've know you given me, I don't know, hundreds of hours of entertainment at this point and your guests. And like, it's very surreal to come on here and just be able to like be a guest on the show. I don't have anything to contribute in the nature of facts or details like everybody else does. All I have is sort of this kind of fictional love letter that maybe really people who love Cooper will, will have some fun with, but it's very flattering to be able to come on the show and like almost like I feel like now I am part of the vortex in some official way, right? Like I'm with, in there grouped in with the rest of these people that I find so interesting, you know? And to Documented me, that's really involvement
0: cool. involvement in the vortex.
1: Yeah, it's like now I'm officially, I've been swept into the vortex as if I wasn't already. Now you can see me spinning around in there with the rest of the people. So I'm very thankful that you allowed me to come on the show and that you're sort of, that you read the book. It's very, very fun. You know, you're actually- One of certainly besides like beta readers and people who've been following me along the way, like you're very much one of the first people I sent that copy to because I I kind of, you know, put some stuff on Twitter years ago about the screenplay. And you like liked one of the tweets and I clicked the Cooper Vortex and I was like, oh, wow, a podcast all about D.B. Cooper. You know, that's so cool. So, you know, actually, I'm I'm reading uh, Rob Bertrand's script right now. I didn't finish yet. So I, I, he gave me it. I read the first 60 pages. I just got caught up in some other things the last couple of weeks, but, um, him and I were speaking for some time, just about screenplays and breaking into the industry and the competitions and scoring and things like that. Um, and so I asked him if I could just check it out. I just wanted to read it just to see what he, what he was doing. And, uh, I I'm about halfway through, so I will finish it soon enough and get back to him, but I do appreciate you having me. It's been like Such an interesting sort of thing to come on and listen. And and I hope that you, I really hope that you keep doing this for a while. I don't know what your plans are. I remember long back when, when you were like, oh, I think that's it. And then you were far from over at that point. Yeah, my original
0: plan was 10 to 20 episodes. I'd do it for a few months and then be done.
1: What are you at now? Like 56, 55?
0: Yeah, I think this will be 55. Uh, Or this will be 56, maybe.
1: Do you, I don't want to like spoil anything, but do you have anything cool planned for the fiftieth? Like, are you maybe going to do another um, stream from CooperCon or any? Like, you have any cool plans for the fiftieth? Outside
0: of just attending the event, no. Um, there's some people I'm very excited to meet there. I'm very excited to meet Brian Ingram, mm. um, Mary Jean Fryer. I'm excited to meet her as well. Just hanging out with all these people that you know. I'm talking to just online all the time Mm. is really fun and exciting. I've got some, some pretty good episodes lined up, some pretty great guests. There's uh, this new book coming out called DB Cooper and flight 305 by uh, Dr. Robert Edwards. He's a mathematician in the UK and it's an incredible account of the events. It's like he read all the, all the FBI files and Put him on a timeline, which that's like you know, it's like eight hundred thousand pages. The FBI files.
1: It's yeah.
0: it seems like a continuation of Sluggo's work, where it was he oh. was so focused on let's only talk about the facts that we know and get them lined up, and then we can discuss things.
1: Mm. Mm. All right, that's cool. So he's going to be on. I'm too.
0: recording that episode tomorrow. Tomorrow wow, morning. You're, you're on
1: fire right now, huh? <laughs>
0: I am and I have a another big guest that I'm real close to I'll tell you that one as soon as we go off air here in a second
1: okay because it, All right. it's, too, I'll let, it's I'll let you I don't yeah, want let to let you wrap it up so audience. I can hear <laughs> yeah I'll let you wrap it up Oh, well, yeah you want to save it because you don't want to like tell people and then you know god forbid you know we just like timing and they you know you sort of got to keep that private and then just like put it out there right
0: Oh yeah, I I made that mistake. I told everyone, hey, I'm going to have this diatom expert on the show and she's local to Portland. This is her field of study. She knows everything about this Um, because I reached out to her. I was like, hey, would you be interested in discussing this paper on the show and the case a little bit? And she said, sure. I don't know anything about DB Cooper, but I know everything about the diatoms in the Columbia.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that, right? I I was like,
0: oh, that's so great. And then I get an email back from her like a few days later, like, hey, I listened to the show. I'm not interested in being involved with it. And I was just like, oh, man, that sucks.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, you know, not for all the things that you've gotten thus far. It's like some misses, you know, some misses are going to happen. Maybe there's another Diatom expert out there that you can grab, you know, perhaps.
0: I'll work on it. (laughs) Anyway, Clark. Your new Thank book, you. Incendiary, it comes out November
1: 24th? Yeah, November 24th. You could get it, um, I mean, pretty much wherever you get books. I, I'm sure most people would point people to Amazon, you know, ebook, paperback, hardcover. You can get any of them, but pretty much anywhere you could buy books, you can get it.
0: Cool. And we'll have a link to your email in case people found a bunch of 20s they want to sell you or uh, they have yeah. an original wanted poster.
1: Yeah, I oh. encourage. I encourage people to get at me because I'm, I'm I'm serious. I'm really looking for stuff like that. You know, or just email me to uh, tell me that, you know, you read the book and you loved it or hated it, whatever.
0: Definitely. We'll have that all in the show notes again. Clark, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Incendiary by Clark Mayer. You can go on Amazon and pre-order it now. Or if you're listening to this after November 24th, 2021, then it's totally available. After you do that, head on over to clarkmayor.com to see what he's got going on. Also, if you have a Cooper 20 or an original wanted poster, he wants it. Hit him up at clark at clarkmayor.com. We've got links to it all in the show notes. Do you know who D.B. Cooper was? Is your relative a suspect? Did you solve the case? Hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram... Or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Clark Mayer for sending me a signed, advanced copy of his book. Made me feel special and important. Thank you to Russell Colbert, who, unlike me, is actually special and important. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex.